0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, where we're helping you lead better every day. And now, here's your host.
1: Welcome, friends, to another insightful episode of the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had the opportunity to sit down with Dave Ferguson this week. Dave is an innovative church leader. He's the founding and lead pastor of Community Christian Church with multiple campuses across Chicago. He's also the president of Exponential and the visionary leader of the international church planting movement, New Thing. Dave has written numerous award-winning books, including his latest from Zondervan, entitled Hero Maker. On this week's episode, Dave and I talk about how church planting has changed over the past 20 years, and Dave shares some encouraging research that just released about pastors and the future of church multiplication. We also discuss some of the tensions we can experience as pastors when it comes to church multiplication, and Dave offers some great insights on navigating those tensions with our people some great stuff, so let's dive right into my conversation with Dave Ferguson. Dave, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. Thank you for making time to share with our pastors and our ministry leaders.
0: Hey, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on.
1: Definitely. Now, Dave, many of our listeners are probably aware that you are a church planter, but many may not know that you're the visionary behind a church planting movement, The New Thing Network. Can you talk a little bit, and share with us first, I guess, a bit about your initial church planting experience, and then help us understand how God has been moving through the New Thing Network?
0: Yeah, we we'll have to. Um, this goes a while back, when, uh, 25, more than 25 years ago, my brother and I, and a bunch of friends from college, we all moved back to Chicago to plant a church, and... Um, uh, really, I mean, the, the, the we didn't say it exactly like this then, but our heartbeat from the very beginning has been, how can we help people find their way back to God? If we can do that, and I would say still to this day, I had someone ask me just yesterday, so what is it you get most excited about? And I was just thinking about a friend of mine who I got to see become a Christ follower. I got a chance to baptize him. So, it was, I mean, we get to see that happen a lot at Community, but it was like my friend this time. And that's the thing that still makes my heartbeat fast and probably is the... Uh, emotional energy uh, behind all the church planning that I advocate for and try to champion. So we moved back to Chicago, and uh, and we started, the, started this church and kind of had this threefold vision that uh, phase one, we'd love for it to be an impact church. That would be a church that would not just be for church folks, but would really impact that community. And so much so if that if we were to disappear, it was the community would say, no, we need that church here. And uh, phase two, we wanted it to be a reproducing church. Uh, so even in the very beginning when we started, we thought in terms of church planting. But then phase three, and this was, you know, when we were all in our early twenties, it was kind of grandiose. We said, "And God, we'd love to you for you to use this to be a movement." So kind of impact, reproducing, and movement is the way we thought about it. And if you fast forward uh, some years later, I had a youth pastor that a guy that I loved, Dave Rochet, came to me and said, "Hey, I want to do what you did," and I was like, "What did you? What did I do?" <laughs> And he said, uh, I want to plant a church. Now, the crazy part about it, at the time, really, I was kind of ticked off because I wanted to keep him on my staff. I wanted to be the youth pastor for my kids. And so I was a little—I was one of those reluctant lead pastors to let anybody go. And so we s- said, well, I'll tell you, where are you thinking about planting? And he said, out in Denver. I said, well, I'll tell you what, before we do anything, just, why don't you go out there and just take a look, and then we'll talk later. Trying to put him off. All right. He goes out there, comes back, and I said, how'd it go? And he goes, it went pretty good. Kind of, <laughs> I said, what do you mean? It went? He said, no, it went really good. And miraculously, he'd made connections with two larger churches. And I said, so how how good did it go? And he said, well, I've already raised $200,000. Whoa. Which, I mean, I know all the church planners and other people listening. I mean, that was just, that's that's a truckload. That's not That does not happen every day anywhere. It was just unbelievable. And so that was such a profound experience that I said, okay, if Godson and Dave and Heather, that was his wife's name, Then uh, we got to get behind this. We got them up in front of our people, community, and we said, um, uh, you know what, if God's sending Dave and Heather out to Denver to plant this church, then a bunch of you need to go with them. And we had about 35 folks that moved from Chicago, sold their homes, moved into new places, transferred schools, and moved out there to start a new church. And that was the first church we planted. And um, that was, I'm not sure how many years ago now, but let's. But anyway, now, new thing has now grown to. About um, 177 networks and over 1,500 churches, and I feel just tremendously grateful. I mean, really just grateful that, uh, that I get to be a part of something like that.
1: that. That's awesome. Now, one of the things that you mentioned was that when you guys first planted your church, yeah. you already had it in kind of your DNA that we are going to plant churches. Now, that is something that, that maybe we, we hear of a bit more now. But back then, really it seemed like most people when they were planting a church, they weren't really thinking forward to, you know, planting another church. They were thinking about kind of growing their church and impacting their community. So how was that a part of your initial conversations?:
0: Yeah, it, it's kind of it's crazy, to be honest. I, I look back on it, and I, my hunch is, part of the reason we probably thought that way was my dad had been a church planner. Okay. So my mom and dad grew up in like rural Missouri. And when they were, I think, probably late 20s, they moved the whole family to Chicago. And uh, he planted a church there. It planted a couple other churches and actually went multi-site. And um, he was there for 37 years. So I have a hunch that we were probably impacted by the growing up years that, yeah, not only we want to plant church, we want to do this over and over again. And so it was. Yeah, that was that was quite a bit different back then than, than most.
1: Yeah, very very cool. Now, where do you see, um, you've, been, you've been involved through New Thing Network, obviously, you, you've seen all these churches planting, and, and you guys are global at this point. So where do you see church planting going? Like in the years ahead, where do you see this all headed?
0: Immediately two things come to mind, Is I think, or maybe even three, but the first thing is I think as we look over our shoulders, I think we did go through a season, and you properly identified it, where most of us woke up every day in church leadership world. Saying, how do I grow something big? And then I'd say about 15 years ago there was a shift that came along with kind of like multi-site churches. And people and leaders begin to say, how do I grow and then reproduce? Thinking in terms of multi-site. I think what's happening now is I do think there's a shift where I think young leaders are thinking in terms of growing and multiplying. And I mean serial multiplication. And and this isn't just wishful thinking on my part. <laughs> I don't know if you got a chance to catch this or not, but Leadership Network came out with some research just this month that they released. It's one of the most encouraging things I've heard in a long time. And I'll give you this stat, and you can kind of, but but I'll I'll try to say it slowly so all our listeners can kind of make sure they grab a hold of it. But what they found is that 83% of pastors who are under the age of 40, okay, so younger ish, under the age of 40 in growing churches, 83% of pastors under the age of 40 in growing churches now say part of their vision for the future is starting brand new sites and planting churches. That means the vast majority, okay, almost everybody who's in a growing church that's younger, a youngerish leader, is saying part of my vision for the future is planting sites and planting other churches. And to me, that is wildly encouraging because it kind of tells me that there's been a shift and I'm grateful for the church planning. I'm grateful for the church growth movement. Right. But I think it was kind of, I would call it a good versus best and church growth is good, but it's only good if it leads to multiplication, which is best. Right. Right. And, um, and I think what, what's coming is now a lot of the younger leaders are going like, yeah, it's good for me to grow my church, but I don't just grow to create seating capacity, I want to grow to create sending capacity to multiply. And I'll tell you what, if if that stat, and I have no reason to warn Bird's behind, he's the smartest researcher we have. Right. If that's right, that is such good news for the North American church and what's going to happen in the future. It tells me there's a shift in the scorecard, a huge shift in the scorecard, which I, you know, candidly, I am gun ho because and again for your listeners, the reason I get so fired up about multiplication and church planting. Is because multiplication church planning leads to movement, and movement is how we accomplish the mission of Jesus. So going back to the very beginning, my friend who became a Christ follower I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, that gets to happen tens and hundreds of times over and over and over again as we start more and more churches. So the mission gets accomplished through movement, through multiplication. Yeah, yeah, that, that's awesome. Now, you've
1: touched on this a little bit and, and kind of walked us through like what we've kind of seen in – the, the church world, especially here in North America, over the last yep. couple decades maybe. So can you kind of clarify a little bit? You talked about this idea of a, a multiplying church. Um, can you kind of walk us through what that sense of multiplying has looked like over the last couple decades and how that is transitioning, you know, what this understanding of, what does it mean for us to be a multiplying church Uh, What did it mean at one point, and what is it meaning now?
0: I I think there has been within—I mean, it's strange within the the church for some time, of course, the idea of multiplication, but it primarily would happen through the infrastructure of a local church, like multiplying small groups and that kind of stuff. I think um, in some ways, the church began to kind of borrow some principles from the business world, and I think all truth is God's truth, so I think some of the things that work in the business world clearly work within the church world, and— for probably several decades, we had, we had franchising, and so some churches began to look at that and say, okay, how do we begin to do that in the church to reach more people? And, that, and the result of that was multi site So we began to multiply not just leaders and groups and teams, but all of a sudden now we began to multiply sites. I think one of the outgrowths of that, too, I, mean, I think the Exponential Conference um, has been a big factor in this. they came along, and we have been championing church planting. So then all of a sudden it was multiplying outside of our own logo and our own ego, (laughs) so to speak, to church planting. Now, I think we were in a season probably for the last 10 years where people thought, well, I have to do one or the other. But I think what's beginning to emerge is, no, what we actually have to do is we need to be multiplying at every level. We multiply leaders, we multiply groups, we multiply teams. We multiply, if we have them, locations and sites, but then we also multiply church plants. And in some cases, it's like we're doing it through a new thing. We also multiply networks of church plants. And um, I think that's kind of what we've seen over our shoulder. And I am I am uh, on the strength finders. I am uh, Positivity is one of my strengths. So take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt. But having said that, I am very, very optimistic about where the church is headed.
1: When it comes to multiplying on these different levels, uh, can you give some kind of real world examples, maybe from your own church or some, some other places that you've seen where this has been very effective and where,
0: where you see this happening now more and more. Yeah. I mean, um, and see if this is, I'm, I'm, I'm scratching where you're itching, so to speak. <laughs> I mean, like this next Monday, uh, Monday at five o'clock, I will be meeting with a guy who, uh, made a commitment to Christ this last year who's a friend of mine who is my apprentice leader in my small group. And so we meet every Monday at five o'clock. We do go through something we call the five steps of apprenticeship. And I would guess in the next 12 months, uh, he'll be at a place in his own leadership development where he'll take over that group. And so essentially what will happen just as a result of multiplying that one group is we'll probably go from the ability to kind of care for a dozen people that are trying their very best to follow Jesus to probably two dozen of people that are trying to follow Jesus and In fact the way that we do groups at community We have lots of people who get in those groups before they become Christians And so they're both really evangelistic and and open um, So even people will come to faith as re- as a result of that So I mean I am I've seen that happen over and over and over and over again In fact, I'm thinking about the current small group that I'm in now and of those Folks, only one of those people in, the, in our, my small group was a believer before they started coming to community. Wow. So, so that's the kind of thing that gets me fired up. On the other hand, two weeks ago, I was at our largest location, uh, Community Christian, the church I pastor, and we had about half of the launch team for a brand new location we're getting ready to start uh, up on the stage. We, this is a, a, lo- a rather large launch for us. Uh, we had about 150 of the 300 people that are going to be a part of this launch team that have come from three of our other locations. We got them up on the stage on a Sunday. They came in the room. Literally the whole place were up to their feet, gave them a standing ovation because those people were leaving that location to go start a new location. We, I affirmed them. Everybody uh, then reached out their hands. As I reached out my hands, and I had our other staff team come around them. We anointed them as a sign of blessing and then prayed for them, and we sent them, and that was kind of the commissioning moment. And this Sunday... We're going to launch a brand new location in a suburb called Downers Grove, which um, we've already seen uh, people come to faith. They baptize somebody in their first preview service. So that's another example of that. I, On the other hand, um, I was not too long ago, I was at, in Nairobi with a partner church, Nairobi Chapel. If you're familiar with Pastor, Pastor Oscar Miru, great friend and brilliant leader. And I got to see him do the same kind of commissioning. Except he had 31 church planters. Wow. <laughs> yeah, seriously, 31 <laughs> church planters on the stage that he affirmed and prayed over and commissioned, sent them out to go start uh, brand new churches in that in that part of Kenya. And to me, that's the kind of the flywheel of how uh, the movement happens. If, if it's true, and I think it is, that when the church is functioning right, it is the hope of the world. Is like you've heard Bill Hybels say. If we can start more and more of those kind of communities that are doing the stuff that God meant for us to do, the social justice stuff, the evangelistic stuff, the belonging, being community stuff, getting each other through everything that life brings them stuff, that's why I get fired up about this job. I mean, there's no more important work in the whole world. And it's a travesty. well, we just keep it to ourselves and we don't multiply it at every level.
1: Right. Now, this idea of, of multiplying at every level and and really multiplying leadership, because yeah. even, you know, apprenticing, you talked about that. That's your multiplying leadership. You're yep. commissioning these people to go out and and help plant a new church. It's multiplying leadership. So this idea of multiplying leadership, you, you must be intentional about this. It It doesn't just naturally happen, correct?
0: Oh, right. Well— I think there's sometimes it does organically happen, I think there's sometimes it happens as a result of God-given giftness, but I think when we can, when we do begin to apply some intentionality to it, yeah, and it's a lot of prayer to it, yeah, that's when it begins to dramatically happen in a, in a whole different way. And that's what we've tried to do, both at Community and through New Thing.
1: Awesome. Now, in your latest book, Hero Maker, you focus in on this idea of leaders multiplying leaders, and you, you really draw from the best source possible, the ministry of Jesus, can you first answer this question? Sure. What is a hero maker?
0: How do you define that? I think a hero maker is someone who's decided that I no longer am striving to be the hero, but I'm going to make other people heroes. Instead of striving for greatness themselves, they're going to. How can I do everything to make the people around me great? Let, let me give you. Let me give you an example. Okay, here's sure. a contemporary example. Okay, I don't, are, I got two boys that are competitive runners, distance runners. I don't know if you're into distance running or not, but so I'm kind of a little geeked out on this, but Shalane Flanagan. I don't know if you know this name or not. Mm-mm. Okay, so Shalane Flanagan in November won the New York City Marathon. And it turns out that's a very big deal because it was the first time in 40 years that an American had won the New York City Marathon. Right, I heard that. Okay. So so it kind of made all the paper. And in fact, Track, which is uh, kind of one of the go-to sources on distance running, they're, they're saying she may be the greatest female distance runner Uh, ever, are certainly the greatest that we have right now. The um, New York Times did a a story on her, and here's what they said about her. So check this out. This will help, I think, help your listeners and yourself maybe understand what do we mean when we say hero makers. They said this about Shalane Flanagan, and I'm quoting, when Shalane Flanagan won the New York City Marathon last week, her victory was about more than just athletic achievement. Of course, it's a remarkable one. She's the first American woman to win in 40 years, and she did it in a blistering two hours and 26 minutes, 26 minutes. Then they go on, check this out. But perhaps Flanagan's bigger accomplishment lies in nurturing and promoting the rising talent around her. A rare quality in the cutthroat world of elite sports. Now listen to this part. Every single one of her training partners, all 11 women in total who trained with her on team Nike, made it to the Olympics while training with her. An extraordinary feat. They call it the Shalane Effect. You serve as a rocket booster for the careers of the women who work alongside you while catapulting forward yourself. They go on and they say this. Shalane has pioneered a new brand of team mom to these young and up-and-comers with the confidence not to tear others down and to protect her place in the hierarchy. Think about that, okay? So, like for me, I mean, I'll just be really honest. Yeah, I want I want to, when it. Like the church I lead, I want it to be... I want it to reach tons of people. I want it to grow, okay? Right. I definitely want it to grow, okay? So I want to be, like she said, like she was described, I want, I'd love for this thing to be a great place. But even more, okay, and this, this is the difference. Now the hero focuses on how do I just make my church great? But the hero maker says, okay, but along the way, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to make sure everybody around me achieves greatness, I mean, think about that. So she she wins the New York City Marathon. But in addition, to that and it's not it's kind of not wasted that there's, a, there's eleven kind of like Jesus, even he had Judas. That there's <laughs> eleven right? There's right, eleven right. who also make the Olympics. That's a hero maker. That's awesome. I mean, I can give you others. St- you're familiar with the Exponential Conference. Oh yeah,
1: definitely yes. Okay,
0: so it was funny. I was I just got back yesterday, last night from 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 being in Berlin. I was there with twenty seven with national leaders from 27 different countries across uh, Europe who are talking about church planning strategies for reaching their nation. So in one of the workshops I did, I asked them how many of you have heard of exponential? And at this point exponential has kind of grown where almost everybody in the room raised their hand. Yeah, we know exponential. Then I said, how many know the name Todd Wilson? And I think there was like two. Now you may know Todd, right? Uh, I know I certainly do. And maybe some of your listeners do, I don't know. But then I went on to explain, well, let me tell you the story about hind exponential about 11 years ago. Todd took over this little conference called the National New Church Conference. He gives me a call because we've been friends, and he says, hey, I'm going to do this, but I would love for you to be the face kind of with the place. I'd love for you to be the upfront presence. And he said, I'll tell you what, I'll do all the work. I'll do all the all the operations. I'll make everything happen. You be the guy who welcomes them. You take care of the main stage, and we'll do this thing together. And essentially, okay, what Todd has done, because everybody, of course, there in Berlin, part of the reason they invite me, they think I'm, the only guy who makes exponential happen, which is totally <laughs> true. Essentially what Todd has done for the last 11 years, because I don't think he's ever even been on the stage. Literally, he's created a platform and he lets me stand on it. And see, that's what hero makers do. They create platforms and they let other people stand on it and let the, shot, you know, the spotlight shine on them.
1: You know what I love about... Um... Kind of this movement because this is the theme of exponential this year, and and so I, and I remember last year when I was there, it was announced and everything is is very exciting, and and now with the new book um, that's being released very soon here, um, really digs into this. What I love about this and kind of the timeliness of this, I believe, just from my perspective, traveling the country, speaking to lots of different pastors, um, is that the the world in which we live right now and social media is is awesome. It, you know, it gives us an opportunity to reach many many people, but I think kind of we live in the kind of uh, the celebrity era right now. You know what I mean? So we have instant celebs um, through YouTube, um, on social media, wherever. And, and that has, you know, in the church, we, we've we experienced that as well. You know, we we have kind of this uh, this phenomenon, some celebrity pastors and, and some even younger pastors who are coming up. They're looking at some of these pastors who have put in, been very faithful, put in a lot of time and a lot of energy and you know, they're wanting to become that that face and, and sort of that thing. So we I think as a as a church, Capital C church, we we've been kind of wrestling a bit with this. And that's what I love, Dave, is that this Hero Makers emphasis for 2018 that we, we're seeing in exponential, that we're seeing through this book, fantastic book by the way, is really coming really in the face of that. I think it, it's saying, listen, it's not all about what we can accomplish. It's not about building our own church empire. It's not about getting our face out in front of everybody or having the most followers or the most retweets or whatever it might be, right? It's about this idea that we have the opportunity to help build, like you said, that platform for others to stand up, for their voices to be heard, for their ministry to be celebrated and encouraged. And in doing that, we have the opportunity to reach more people than, than ever before you know, in the history of, of humankind. And so I so appreciate the heartbeat of this idea of being a hero maker.
0: I, I think one of the things, and here's the good news, too, is I think it embraces kind of the paradox of the gospel, which if we will, as leaders and as Christ followers, die to ourselves, we'll actually experience more life. I mean, one of the people that we kind of point people back to is uh, a guy named Ralph Moore. Um, Ralph is a guy— who, I mean, if you're around him, he's a total kind of he's kind of a laid back, chill guy who um, I mean, if he if there was fifty people in the room, you're not picking him as the guy going, Oh man, I wish I was him. <laughs> but he is probably the best example of what we call a level five multiplying church that we have in North America. He's he's had influence of planting more than twenty three hundred churches. Now, let's just do the I mean do the math. So twenty three hundred. Let's say they're all even a hundred, and they're and they actually the advertise is larger than that. The ones he started even a hundred. That's twenty. That's two hundred thirty thousand people. Wow. Two hundred thirty thousand people. Now, and again, I'm I'm friends with these people, and I'm grateful when we have them on our stage. But I mean, let's say, um, you know, pick pick your favorite large church pastor. None of them have influenced two hundred thirty thousand people. So, and the good news about this is, guess what? When you decide to quit trying to be the hero. And to be a hero maker, you can actually have a greater impact, too. Right, right, right. That's awesome. That's awesome. And you don't have to worry about,
1: you know, everyone running up to you in the airport and saying, oh, hey, hey, you know, right? Because <laughs> you're there a little you behind the scenes, you know what I mean? You're, you're, and you're having that impact. So that's, that's awesome, brother. In this book, you're looking at, you know, these principles of Jesus' ministry. One of my favorite chapters in the book was when you addressed uh, the tensions of hero making. Right, yep. um, because like everything we do for Christ, there's so much to celebrate. There's so much that, that the Holy Spirit does to empower us and fill us. But you know, we we are where you're stepping into um, territory, and we're championing the cause of Jesus, and and there's tension, and there's struggle, and there's there's difficulty. So, um, can you touch on some of those tensions that we might experience as pastors and as ministry leaders when we commit to this idea of of truly multiplying leaders?
0: I think one of them that that we all feel, as soon as we kind of step into this idea of being a multiplying leader, and it's whether, I mean, candidly, if I'm talking to someone who's leading a small group, a missional community, or someone who's leading a church, it's the tension between here and there, between here and there. Because on the one hand, like, okay, let's just say as a pastor, okay, because we're talking to church, as a pastor, I have the tension of I have the response for right here, I have the responsibility for caring for these people right here. I have the responsibility for making this thing be self-sustaining financially right here. I have the responsibility for teaching these people right here. But part of what we're doing when we take on this idea of being a multiplying leader, okay, and really moving, as we talk about in the book, we call them different levels, level four and five churches, is we also say, but I know because Acts 1-8, last thing Jesus said before we leave planet Earth, he left planet Earth, is it doesn't just stay in Jerusalem. It's right. supposed to go from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the universe. And so Jesus even presents us that tension between here and there. And so as a small group leader, I can't just be concerned about my group. I have to be thinking about how I reproduce over there. As a pastor, I can't be just thinking only about this, but I have to live into the tension. It's a tension not to be resolved, but a tension to manage. How do I uh, develop a leadership resident, train up someone who can go plant a church over there and then over there and then over there? And again, I think one of the things we do in the book is we acknowledge, hey, this is not going to be easy, but this is how the mission gets accomplished is what we're called to. Right. That, that's
1: good. Now, now let me um, ask a little bit, dig in just a little bit deeper on that, um, because as pastors, oftentimes we might feel the sense of, of that call and we might have that excitement of the, you know, here and there. Right. And so so we're focused and we're stretching. But sometimes the people God has entrusted to us here don't embrace that same you know, here and there. They're, they're like, well, wait a second, you're our pastor, you know what I mean? And we have these needs right here, and God brought you to this spot. What advice would you give pastors who wrestle with helping their people understand the here and there?
0: I think one of the things that, that can really be our friend in bringing about change and helping our people embrace multiplication is, is knowing how to create a multiplying culture, And not to get too technical, um, but if your listeners kind of imagine three expanding concentric circles, three expanding concentric circles. The center is our values, okay? I think already almost every Bible-believing, Jesus-loving kind of church, they already have the value of multiplication. They buy into Matthew 28. They buy into Acts 1-8. They buy into 2 Timothy 2-2 of, you know, Paul telling Timothy here, multiply this to the fourth generation. They buy into that value. But now here's where as leaders we have to be smarter. And I think that's the second circle, the second layer of the expanding concentric circle of narrative. So you have the values, now the narrative. We have to consistently tell stories. Okay, so narrative is like stories and language. We have to tell stories and multiplication. It can be stories like I did. You notice at the beginning of our conversation about my friend, Brent, who I'm developing as an apprentice, is going to multiply another small group. And how that's so important because that's how we care for people, and that's how people in our language and community find their way back to God. We have to tell those stories over and over and over again. But the second part of the narrative piece, not just storytelling, but it's also language. And one of the things we've done with the book is we've tried to create some brand new language. This very word, hero maker, is kind of a new term that we're introducing into the leadership genre that gives people a different paradigm of what it means to lead. Oh, so leading doesn't mean, it means not me being the hero, making other people the hero. So as you introduce stories, it could... And you can borrow stories like if you, at your church. You can tell them, hey, I was talking to Dave Ferguson this week. He told me he was in, in Nairobi at Nairobi Chapel. They commissioned 31 church planters. Isn't that awesome? And you make them applaud. <laughs> right, right, right. And so you tell those stories. And in fact, a community, and that's like even when I mentioned this commissioning we did two weeks ago, this brand new location, and I mentioned that people gave them a standing ovation. That's something that's happened over the years. My friend Kim Hammond says this you can tell what a culture values by what gets spontaneous applause. Mm. You can tell what a culture values by what gets spontaneous applause. And when we start a brand new church, at brand new campus, I mean, people just, they started clapping. So it's this, that storytelling and language thing there is important. But then the third layer is what we call behaviors, okay? Or what we could talk about also like the practices that we introduced in that book. This is where I think as a leader, you have to be doing it yourself. So the, I, part of the reason I lead a small group and I apprentice, an apprentice leader, even though we have a, a very large church and I'm also involved in a network and exponential all that kind of stuff, is because I know I reproduce who I am and I want those people to also do what I'm doing. And I also want to be able to tell that story like I told you, so it spreads. So when those three things align, values, narrative, and behaviors, you create a strong culture. And if you'll do those three things over and over again, you'll create a culture that by the time when you get ready to plant a church, everybody goes like, of course we should do that, because that's who we are. The other thing I would add to that, my experience has been those churches that reproduce micro, like on the small group level or missional community level, that are reproducing leaders and artists and teams, they will also be inclined to also reproduce macro, reproduce, start new churches. It is is very challenging to plant a church, to reproduce a church, when the infrastructure of all the stuff I talked about isn't happening. You're not reproducing disciples and and leaders and artists.
1: When it comes to next steps, what would you recommend uh, to our listeners when it comes to this idea of becoming a hero maker? Um, I know you have some very practical resources. We've talked about the Exponential Conference, for example. Are there places you can direct them for some next steps on how to like kind of uh, go after this um, in their own local setting? What that might yeah. look like?
0: I think Exponential will be a great place for you to catch the vision for this. Um, we just got word that our conference in Orlando sold out. Um, but the good news is we have five other regionals all across the country that you can take advantage of. that will be happening in the fall. And, um, I would strongly encourage them to, to get there because I think if you're there, you will really capture the vision of it and you'll be inspired to make it happen. The second thing I would, I'd encourage, I would encourage people, uh, to, to check out the book and introduce it to your team. In fact, um, the very room that I'm talking to you from probably about two hours ago. I had our small group champions all here I gave them an advanced copy of the book and I said hey, I'm really fired up about this. I love these practices I think these are things that could work, but I'd love for you to take a look at this Let's brainstorm how we could use this at, ch- at community. So again, I mean, so your church leaders know this is <laughs> This is something I'm doing. I'm trying to figure this out, too. So get the book I think actually Zonderman, if you go to heromakerbook.org, that's the landing page, heromakerbook.org, or you can go to my website, daveferguson.org. Um, but they have a couple um, special offers where if you buy seven, you get something, and if you buy one pre-order, you get something. But if you do that, but then sit down with your, with your staff team, if you have a staff team, or sit down with your small group leaders, if you have small group leaders. This also can work at any level, whether it's kids or students, um, and say, hey, let's go through this together because there's five different practices and these five practices are practices that if everybody will do those, I guarantee, because uh, I mean, we base them on the life of Jesus and the gospel. I guarantee if they do those five practices, you will multiply leaders who will multiply leaders. And I think that's where the great stuff happens in the kingdom.
1: Yeah. And one of the great things just to tag on to that is in the book, what I loved is you have discussion questions at the end of each chapter. So if you're going through this with your key volunteers or your staff or, you know, where that team is, even your elder board or your church board there are those discussion questions for you to kind of dig more deeply into um, that, that particular chapter. So it's a great great resource, kind of training, uh, coaching resource for your church and uh, for your ministry teams.
0: And one of the things we're going to do is we've got a participant's guide that comes along with it that's going to be available. And then there's about six – there's six videos that we made. If they want to use those, we're going to be posting those very soon, probably by the time your listeners uh, are checking this podcast. They'll be available on the landing on the landing page at heromakerbook.org, too, which they can access. So. We're really trying to do everything we can. I mean, in the kind of the spirit of hero-making, we're trying to do everything we can to make those people successful.
1: Right, that makes sense. That, that makes perfect sense, right? Awesome. Now, we'll have uh, links to all of those in the show notes, so our listeners can check that out and, and get to those different places quickly. Um, but, man, it's been such a, a pleasure to have you, Dave, on with us, and it's very inspiring and encouraging. I'm excited to see. It's, it's been fun to look back um, over, the, over the years and see how the church as a movement – has been developing really, and 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 I think this whole uh, multiplication, the different levels of multiplication that have been introduced through the exponential conferences. I've I've been at them. I've I've been listening to them from from the very beginning. Whenever whenever it all started, and and I I really believe that this is kind of an opportunity for pastors from all different backgrounds, all different contexts, right? For us to kind of rally together and say. You know, we are we are here to live out um, the mission of Jesus Christ in our world. How can we lock arms? How can we take the hope and the truth of Christ to every nook and cranny um, of, of our world? So I so appreciate what you and your team do. Um, it's just an absolute blessing.
0: I'll tell you what, let me, let me do this too, because sure. if, if the pastors are listening and they're going, man, I would love to connect with Dave or a new thing, and maybe they're part of that 83% of those Young pastors who are in churches that want to multiply sites. Let me give you my. I'm just going to give you my email address. Okay, my email and it'll come straight to me and my assistant is just my name, Dave Ferguson at communitychristian dot Dave Ferguson at communitychristian If there's ways that I can help, they're listening to this. They're going like, man, I'd love to ask him this, or I wonder if he can connect me with that. Uh, as best I can. I would love to hear from them.
1: Awesome. We certainly appreciate that, brother. Well, thank you again for making the time to be with us and uh, very encouraging, inspiring things that you've shared. And I'm just excited for our listeners to be inspired and to dig in and to live uh, live out the calling that God's placed on their life. So thank you, brother.
0: Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. I'm really grateful.